wrapped in this series we started last Sunday, just simply entitled, I Am Jesus. We began uh, asking this question, just how much do I really know the Jesus of the Bible? Do I know him as he wants to be known, or have I developed a nice, neat little caricature, or a nice, neat little mental drawing of who he is, where he fits nicely into my life like an accessory, like a watch, or a ring, or a necklace that I put on before, uh, before coming to church, or something like that. Jesus is not an accessory. He is the Lord of Lords and he is the King of Kings. Have I forced Jesus into a box or into a frame that falls in line with my personal worldview? Or am I taking in the fullness of the Christ of Scripture? And I'll tell you this, you're not going to be able to take into the fullness of the Christ of Scripture if you don't actually get into Scripture. So we've got to get into the word of God on a daily basis. And as we do, God begins to speak to us and he begins to show us who he really is. And the video that we open with that from from Lockridge, my favorite line in that entire video is when he says, oh, I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. You see, I understand that as we started the series trying to paint a picture of Jesus Christ, there is no way that in my humanity I can properly do that. It's a task that I know I can't accomplish. It's a task that you can't accomplish when you have to, when somebody says, okay, explain Jesus to me. Like, do you have the rest of eternity for us to do this? Because you just can't do it in a, in a, in a small little soundbite or in a little tweet or something like that. Jesus is just so big and who he is and what he does. When, how do you describe someone who is literally everything? How do you do that? See, the only way to truly understand the Christ of the Bible is to have a daily, adamant relationship with him where he personally reveals himself to you. One where you just drop all the pretense and all the ideas of what you want him to be, and you begin to say, okay, God, I surrender to who you are, and I surrender, Holy Spirit, to what you reveal to me about my Savior. And when you do, I promise you're not going to be disappointed. I mentioned last week that, that, that I've begun to see Jesus in a completely different light. And I began to walk with him in not a completely different way, but in a, it's just a more real way since a couple of years ago when I preached through the Sermon on the Mount. For me, it wasn't just preparing sermons. It was a personal journey to understand that I had developed some ideas and notions about Jesus and this like package that I put him in that he just obliterated through that study. And, and since then, I've just been, been begun just kind of looking at that and saying, all right, God, here it is. I'm throwing away all these pictures, and I'm going to just look at who you are, and I'm going to surrender to who you are. And last week, we began trying to pull these pieces out of just John chapter 1, where we tried to put together who Christ is according to John chapter 1. And we looked at three things. Real quickly, if you missed last week, here it is. Jesus is eternal. Look at the fact that Jesus has always been and he always will be, just like the Father God, because he's part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they have all existed. God didn't just create Jesus before he created the earth. Jesus has always existed with the Father. He was around long before you and I have ever been around. He's indestructible, and he cannot be confined to any limits that we try to put on him. The next thing we saw is that Jesus is grace and truth. It, not that Jesus Jesus has grace or offers grace and told the truth, but that Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth. In Jesus, we find grace. And grace doesn't exist if Jesus doesn't exist. And we find truth. Everything Jesus said was true. Can you say that about yourself? Can you say that about anybody you've ever met? They were always true. They always told me the truth. 
There's all of us have told a lie at one point or another, or we've lied to ourselves at times too. But Jesus never lied and he never will. So Jesus is grace and his and truth. The truth is this, that we've all sinned and we come short of the glory of God. But here's the grace. The grace is that we deserve death and we deserve eternity in hell. But the, but the grace is this, that while we deserve that, Jesus died so that we could have forgiveness of our sins and eternal life in heaven. And then last week we closed or we, we kind of stopped in the, in the message with Jesus reveals God to us. Meaning that God is this giant, just like Pastor Lockridge was saying, he's painted this picture of God just being huge and you can't box him in, you can't fence him in. But for 33 years, God was in flesh and he walked on the earth that he created. So Jesus is the embodiment or Jesus is the picture and he reveals God to us. And understand this too, that we can't understand God apart from Jesus. You see, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, people understood God through his laws. When he said, do this, don't do this, sacrifice this, following all of those laws. But when Jesus came, everything changed. Everything was completed. See, everybody tried to get to know God and understand God through his laws in the Old Testament. But once Jesus came, we understand and we get to know God through Jesus. That's why Jesus said, this is the New Testament in my blood at the Last Supper. We come to comprehend God through Jesus Christ and through a relationship with him. And so that's last Sunday what we looked at. This Sunday, we're going to look at just one piece of the picture, adding to those three things. And this is a big one. This is the central piece. This is the one that we can't lose sight of. And that's simply this, that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Let me ask you a question, church, before we even start. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That's one of our doctrinal, foundational faiths, that Jesus is the Son of God. And prior to the portion of John chapter one, we're going to look at this morning is actually the personal testimony of John the Baptist Uh, in the passage that we're going to read. Some people came to John and they were religious leaders, religious elite, those who were trying to keep doctrine and teaching in check back in those days. And they came to G uh, they came to John the Baptist and they said, all right, you got to describe, you got to explain some stuff to us. Number one, who are you and what are you doing and what's it all about? And so we're going to look at his testimony, uh, beginning in John chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, number 14, and we're going to read through verse number 34. In John chapter 14, it says this, And the word, and again we saw last week, when you see that word capitalized, that's a name. This speaking of Jesus, right? Jesus was made flesh and dwelt among us. And here's where we left off last Sunday. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. Again, Jesus is what connects us to God. John bore witness of him and he cried saying, this is, this was he of whom I spoke and he's coming after me is preferred before me for he was before me. And of his fullness have all of us received and grace for grace for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time except for the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father. He has declared him. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him. They said, basically, who are you? What are you about? What are you doing? What's all of what's it all mean, John? Why are you out there in the wilderness uh, dressed up in animal skins and going all survivalist on us? Why are you eating locusts and wild honey, man? Why are you looking like a complete stone cold freak out there at the Jordan River baptizing people? What's all of this about? 
And in verse 20, he says, and when he confessed and he denied not, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. I'm not the chosen one. And they asked him, he says, they said, what then? What are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not Elijah. He said, are you a prophet then? And he said, I'm not a prophet. And they said unto him, then who are you that we may give an answer to them that sent us? And they say, what do you say of yourself? Give an account for yourself. What are you about? What's your life about? And he said, I'm the voice of one that cries in the wilderness, make straight or prepare the way of the Lord. And he, as said, the prophet Isaiah. And then they which were sent were of the Pharisees and they asked him and he said unto them, why do you baptize then if you are not the Christ, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah or a prophet? Why are you taking it upon yourself to baptize people? And John said to them, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who you do not know yet. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe lash it or whose sandals I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Betharba beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, the very next day, John saw Jesus coming unto him and he said, Behold or look up because the Lamb of God is coming which takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest unto Israel. Therefore, I am come baptizing with water. And John bore record saying, I saw the spirit from descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom now shall see the spirit descending and remaining on him. That same is he who baptizes not just with water, but with the Holy Ghost. And in verse number 34, and I saw and bore record that this is the son of God. So as John was questioned and everybody was asking him, what are you about? What are you doing? Because let me tell you, John, the Baptist ministry was gathering a crowd. People were talking about it. People, it was trending on Twitter, man. There was all kinds of stuff. People were pop. If they had had Instagram back there, been all these pictures of this guy with bug legs in his beard and honey caked onto his beard and everything. I mean, John, the Baptist was not a guy you took home to mom. Okay. Just look rough. And he's out there, he's preaching this message, and the whole message was this, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get right with God, because the Messiah is arriving, is coming. He was sent to trumpet the Messiah that he was, that he was there, and he was about to start his ministry. Here's what John said, I have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. A couple things that we get from this is this, is that we can't tell people that Jesus is the Son of God if we haven't experienced it for ourselves. Our faith needs to be more than just a head knowledge. It has to be a heartfelt spiritual conviction that wells up deep inside of us. It can't just be something that I've gone and I've learned a bunch of stories and I've heard a bunch of sermons and this guy said this and this person said that and my bubble, my, my bubble study, my Bible study leader said this. It can't just be a list of quotes. Your faith has to be deeper than just a list of quotes and a list of mantras that get you through tough times. Your faith needs to be something that regenerates you and gives you life inside of you. And this is what John was saying. I have seen and I have tasted and I have witnessed in myself that he is the son of God. Let me ask you something this morning. Is that your testimony? Have you witnessed the power of the son of God inside in your life? Because when Jesus saves us, he doesn't just save us so that we can win arguments. He doesn't just save us so that we can put our political enemies in check on Facebook. He saves us so he can eradicate sin and bring life And light to the darkness. 
And the first place he starts is not with everybody around you. He starts with you. He starts with you. Jesus is the son of God. This was his testimony before the priests and the Levites who came to him. And this is this. And by the way, it cost him his life. Cost him his life to give this testimony. But the entire book of John, matter of fact, the entire book of John that we read here, that we're just looking at chapter one right now, but the entire book of John was written to prove this fact that Jesus is the son of God. The entire book of John, this is why if you're a new believer, if you're looking to get into Bible study or reading the Bible on a regular basis for the very first time, I suggest you go to the book of John because it, it really nails down the fact and gets this foundational belief down that Jesus is the Son of God. Because the things that Jesus does and the things that Jesus says in the book of John, you can't do unless you truly are the Son of God. And, and, and John's purpose statement for writing the entire book is found all the way over at the end as he's concluding the book. And he says in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These things are written, speaking of the book, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ or is the Messiah. So he's written to a culture, the Jewish culture, that by that time had begun to look away from Jesus again and thought, well, he's just not truly the Messiah. He said, oh, no, 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 let me recount his life. And show you this. There have been a lot of people who have come along and said they're the Messiah. But let me tell you what Jesus did. He's different. He's the son of God. And so he says, you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And he says that you might believe that he is the son of God. And that by believing, you would have life through his name. So if you're wanting to get to know Jesus, you're wanting to kind of sink that down in your soul. Read the book of John and get in it and say, God, show me. Show me. John used, in the, throughout the book, he used six people. Throughout the book, and, and, and a seventh was, was Jesus himself. But throughout the book, he, he used six people that said he's the son of God. Nathaniel in chapter 1, Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Peter in chapter 6, verse 69 says, We believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The blind man that Jesus healed before he was even healed. Jesus heard that they cast him out of the temple. And when they had found him, he said unto him, do you believe on the son of God? And he answered and said, Lord, who is he that I can believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, you have both seen him. And it is he that talks with you now. Basically, I'm him. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him in John chapter nine. Martha, 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 Martha. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the son of God, which should come into the world in John chapter 11. Thomas, doubting Thomas. All right, he always gets all the negative press, right? Thomas said in John chapter 20, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. John the Baptist said, I saw and I bore record and I testified this is the son of God. Over in the book of Luke, when Jesus is baptized and the spirit descended, God even says from the heavens, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Follow him. Jesus said, I am the son of God. And he referred to God as his father all the way through the scriptures, all the way through the book of John. We see evidence and we see people convinced that Jesus is the son of God. Author C.S. Lewis of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the Narnia Tales, all that. He was a Christian author. He said this, Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God simply for this reason. After all of this other proof, Christians believe that Jesus is the Son of God because he said so. Isn't that something we're supposed to do as followers? We're supposed to believe the person that we follow, right? It matters not what everybody else says. What matters is whether Jesus said it, the one that we follow. He did so the question you may, we may be asking today is, what does it matter that Jesus is the Son of God? 
What does it matter? Why is that so important that we have that within our framework of who Jesus is, that he's the son of God? Well, it matters greatly. Matter of fact, I would probably say it's the foundational, just as, just as the structure of this floor is important to holding me up. Jesus being the son of God is important to holding up our faith. And not only is it important to holding up your faith, it's important to hold up your eternity as well. See, the first reason that it's important that Jesus is the Son of God, if you want to write these down, is because it makes Christianity unique among all other religions and all other faith systems in the world. The deity, and this is the term that we use to to talk about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is God, is a term that we call deity. It comes from Greek roots, meaning deo, meaning God. But he he is the deity he is God himself as well, that Jesus is God. We're not just serving a son, a creation of God, a prophet of God. We serve God himself that was made flesh among us. That's who Jesus is. But all other world religions, they stumble over this fact. They're like, yeah, I respect Jesus. That's cool. He was a great teacher. History even records that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who died on a cross about 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. History records all of it. History records that there was a great, there was a, a, a great conspiracy over where his body may be today. Those who deny his resurrection still don't deny that his body is missing. So Jesus being the son of God is where everybody begins to draw the line. Yeah, Jesus was a respectable person. He had great teaching. Even moralists today, even people who say, hey, we need to have a great moral society. They say his teachings line up with human morality. But when it comes to the fact that he's the son of God, that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's where the line is drawn for many people. In the Abrahamic religions, the three world religions that stemmed from from Father Abraham, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Christianity is the only one that claims that Jesus is the son of God. Judaism still is waiting for the Messiah, the son of God, to come uh, and fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament. In Islam, here's what it says. Uh, here's what it says in, in the surah, in the religious writings of Islam, who stemmed from Ishmael, uh, there, the, one of the sons of, of Abraham. And he said this, he said, verily, Jesus is, is as Adam in the sight of God. He created him of dust. So there's already a problem, right? Here's what Islam says. Jesus is like Adam. He's just another creation. He created him of dust. And then he said unto him, be, and he was, that's surah 352 from the Quran. So we see stumbling over the fact that Jesus is the son of God. They cannot say and admit that Jesus is the son of God. And so therefore, Christianity is set differently. There's a lot of questions about other faiths and other things that say, hey, I'm a, we're of a Christian faith. Those who would believe, those who follow the Jehovah's Witness faith in one of their documents called Let God Be True on page 33, it says, Thus Jesus ranked in God's creation being first among them. He is not the author, but after God created him, God made him his partner. Again, a creation of God, not his son. In Mormonism, the Mormons stumble over, uh, over deity as well. They say Jesus is a God, not the God. He is not the son of God and therefore end up with a faith that is very works based, that I must do something to earn my salvation. To say that I am Christian means that I believe that Jesus is altogether different from any other religious figure that may have existed because he is the son of God. 
That is one of the foundational identifications of a person who follows Jesus, that he's the son of God. So it's, in, it's important to be the son of God because it makes Christianity unique among other faiths. It's also what gets us in trouble with a lot of other people, right? But never sway from that belief that Jesus is the son of God. The other reason that it's important is because only God can save mankind. If Jesus is not God, then him dying on the cross does not redeem us. Him dying on the cross is no different than, 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 than another person going and dying on the cross and saying, hey, I'm dying to redeem all of mankind from their eternal sin. Now, I may be able, you may be able to work out a legal deal that you would take the punishment of someone else for their crime here on earth, but we're not talking about taking the punishment of a human crime. We're talking about taking the punishment and paying the price for sin, spiritually eternal stuff. Jesus, the spiritually eternal God, is the only one who was able to die in our place and pay the penalty for our sins. If he's not the son of God, what he did on the cross doesn't trickle down to us. His blood may have trickled down that cross, but it does nothing for us. Only the son of God can save mankind. Here's what it says in John chapter three. For God so loved the world. You know this verse very well that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But then it says in verse number 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So what it's saying is if we can't attest to the fact that Jesus is the son of God, we cannot be saved. We must accept his deity. God's word makes it very clear. Without the son of God, you have no salvation of God. So why is it important? It's the foundational truth that all of our faith rests upon. It's the foundational truth that all of our faith rests upon. This is why when we live in a pluralistic society, it's very dangerous to, to, to entertain the notion that all faiths are equal. Because not all faiths are equal. They may be equal in cultural standing among people, but they are not equal in the eyes of God. For when God, the creator, looks for righteousness, he looks for his son's blood that covers our sins. And that's what brings us to the next point that we're looking at this morning. Jesus being the son of God, this is why it's also so important is because as the son, Jesus connects us to the father. This is why it's great that he's the son of God is why we have to have this within the framework of who Jesus is. As the son, Jesus connects us to the father. Who is better to explain or describe a father than his children? That's why I keep my kids stowed away and you can't see them because I don't want you talking to them and finding out what daddy's really like at home. No, I'm just teasing. I'm really, I'm really, I try not to be any different on the platform than I am, than I am at home either, other than I, I wear like athletic shorts at home a whole, whole lot, you know, um, which the kids are like, dude, you've, you really are looking like a dad lately. <laughs> I used to be cool, but now I'm, I'm, I'm really, really not. I don't know if it's because they're getting cooler or I'm really getting less cooler. But anyway, who is better to explain or describe a father than his children? And you may be sitting here thinking, I can't describe my dad. I didn't have a close relationship with him. And I understand that. But in the general scope of things, a, per, a, a son or a daughter who has a dad that was involved in their life, they can describe their kids. Sometimes they may describe things we don't want them to describe, right? But the son, think about this, the son bears the genetic makeup of the father. Their DNA is literally running through the blood that bear the biological mapping of the father. And Jesus bears the DNA of the father as the part of the Trinity. Jesus is just as much God as God is God. The son often resembles the father. 
poor Natalie, and she's, she's not in here today, but poor Natalie, I can see it used to not bother her, but now it's bothering a little bit more now that she's, now that she's getting to be a teenager. Every time somebody sees her, like, oh, you're the spitting image of your dad. And you can just see it on her face, like, oh, thanks for that. You know, like, I'm like, I look at her, I'm like, you know what that means? You are one handsome chick, or I am one pretty looking dude, you know, whatever, whatever it matters. You know, I don't know. Either way, it's a compliment. I'm taking it good. Either you're handsome or I'm pretty. I don't know which one it is. Right? They always say, you do it all the time. We look for the resemblance in kids. When somebody says, this is my child, you look for the resemblance. Well, they can see they've got their nose, your mouth, your lips, or (laughs) your attitude. You know, one of those things, right? Jesus was the express image of the Father. Jesus was God's hand and feet and face. For 33 years, God had a face. For 33 years, God had hands that we could touch. And those hands were pierced for our iniquities. For 33 years, God had a back and a front. And that back was ripped open by the cat of nine tails. For 33 years, he had all of those things. And today, the Bible says what's interesting is, I believe God still has those qualities. That he ascended into heaven, but he still is in this spiritual body. Because the Bible says we'll see his hands and feet, and they'll still have the nail scars in them the body shows us the father the son often mimics the father when i was a kid and uh and really young my dad i always wanted to be just like him and i remember he wore cowboy boots all the time back when those were cool did he ride a horse no he wasn't going down to old town road he wasn't doing anything like that he just wore cowboy boots didn't have spurs or anything like that but he wore cowboy boots and so i want to be like my dad i wanted cowboy boots Made my mom buy me a pair just like my dad. My dad would come home from work and he'd lay on the couch and he'd take his boots off and sit them right in line. This is where I also got my OCD from as well. Sit him right in line right beside. And there's a picture that I remember from my childhood of his boots sitting there and then mine are sitting right next to him. Because I wanted to mimic my dad. Jesus mimics the father. Not only does he mimic the father, he mimics him in every single way. There was not a moment when Jesus did not align with the father's nature. Now, there are times when the father's nature and the son's nature will diverge in humanity, right? Dads, how many of you, your sons are exactly like you? Probably not. We diverge. We clash sometimes with our kids. Oh, do we clash with our kids? Oh, do we clash with our kids? But Jesus never once did. And the son oftentimes brings the father great pride. Dads, how many times have you looked at your son? Or moms, how many times have you looked at your daughter? Or, or vice versa. And they do something, and you're like, yes, my boy. Yeah, buddy. You know, he hits a home run, or he, you know, he catches the big bass, or something like that. And you're like, that's my boy. You know, or, or ladies, how many times you look at your daughters, and they do something, and you're like, dude, that's, that's, that's my daughter. That's my girl. We have a thing. When they're good, they're my girls. When they're bad, they're hers. Right? You all probably have that good setup in your home as well. When he was baptized, God said this, I'm well pleased in my son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It was a, and it's my boy from heaven, from God. In so many ways, you see the father through the son, and that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He helps us see God the father. Just as I said, in the Old Testament, the laws were the way that we connected to God. But in the New Testament and in today's age, we connect with God, not through a law, not through a list. We connect with him through a person and through a relationship, and his name is Jesus. The word became flesh, it says, and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father. We observed the glory of God. 
when the word became flesh in Jesus. In verse number 18 of our text, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's side, he has revealed him. I love what author S.D. Gordon said. He said, Jesus was God spelling himself out in language that humanity could understand. God spelling him out in language that humanity could understand. So the son describes the father and reveals the father, but the son also brings us to the father. The son brings us to the father. There are a lot of times that our, that our kids are what connect us to other people. School's getting ready to start. Students, you got like, what, another week of freedom? That's awesome. Hope you enjoy going to Staples or Walmart or wherever it is that you're going to get your back-to-school supplies. It's going to be fun. But school's getting ready to start, so your kid's going to start a new class. And you know what that means, parents? <laughs> More sign-up lists. you got to volunteer for this. you got to volunteer for that. you got to do this. you got to do that. But classes become and schools become kind of like a community. You know families because of your kids, Right? There's people that I know that I would not know in life if it were not for my kids. <laughs> There's people in life that I would not want to know. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But through soccer and through, through, through chorus and through all this, we, we get to know other people. This is what Jesus does for us. The Son brings us to the Father. Because the Bible says we can't approach the Father because he is so holy and so righteous. So he sent his Son to be the connection that takes hold of us and brings us to the Father. And the Bible says that one day when we stand before the Father, he will look at us and judge us on one thing. Did we know the Son or did we reject the Son? Did we receive the Son or did we reject him? So the Father brings us to the Son. And Jesus said this in John 14. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Because as the Son of God, the Son brings us to the Father. Theologian, German theologian Karl Barth said this, Jesus does not give recipes that show the way to God as other teachers of religion do. He himself is the way. He himself is the only recipe. So the son connects us to the father. And we're going to dive deeper into this next point, And it's not on your it's not on your fill in sheet or anything like that. But we're going to talk about this tonight in your community groups and in your Bible study groups is this. As the father, as the son connects us to the father, then we as his followers should also connect others to the son. So what do I do with this truth? What do I do with the fact that Jesus is the son of God? What do I do with what I've just heard? Here's the next step. We have to understand that as Jesus connects us to the father, we as the followers of Jesus, as the children of light, must in the same way connect others to Jesus who then connects them to the father. It's evangelism. It's the great commission. We have to share our faith. But take what we have talked about here regarding the son of God And we have to understand that we have to connect others to the Father. Do you know how vital it is that Christ properly represented the Father to us? Every word that he uttered was was gospel, was literally gospel. Every word that he uttered was scripture. God has to be careful. I've heard the old joke before. God has to be careful of what he says because whatever he says happens, right? Remember when God said, let there be light, and boom, there's light, right? So God has to be careful about whatever he says. Jesus, the same way, everything he said was true. And if it were not true, we can't trust scripture. But because it were true and because he adequately, not just adequately, but but perfectly pictured the father to us, we can trust him. 
In like manner, it is vital that we as his followers accurately depict Jesus to those who don't know him as well. And this is why it is important that we can't just put Jesus in a little box. And we can't just align Jesus with different ideas or different things that we hope to be true. We can't just tag Jesus on to our own human ideas and faith systems or political thoughts or preferences and say, oh, well, that's just Jesus. Jesus would do this. We need to make absolutely sure from the word of God whether he truly would. Because sometimes what people get is a partial picture of Jesus, but not the whole picture. So as the father Accurately depicted as the son accurately depicted the father. The follower must accurately depict the son. This is why we can't put him in a box or a frame of our own making, because when we do that, we sell him short to a world that desperately needs a clear view of who he really is. If you need more evidence, just take the last 24 hours, two mass shootings in two cities in our country. Our world desperately needs to see Jesus. The Prince of Peace. In a country where people post videos celebrating genocide and infanticide and all of those things, this world desperately needs Jesus. And we have to accurately depict him to this world. If we're Christians and we're Christ-like, we need a clear view of who he is. God, help us to never make make Jesus too small to be seen by those who are desperate for him. And God, help us to never make Jesus too distorted for people not to see the true hope that comes through him as well. So I'm going to close today. I know you're shocked. I'm closing already. I'm going to close today with the the question that we opened with by S.M. Lockridge. Do you know him? Do you know him? It's vital that you know him. Not that you just know about him, but that you really, truly know him. I'm not asking where was he born. I'm not asking what did he lay in when he was born and what were the clothes called when he was born. We can know all the facts and figures. I'm asking, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Does he walk with you and talk with you? Do you know him? Because if you don't know him, you can't know God because the son of God takes us to the father. If you don't know him, you can't be connected to God. And if you don't know him, nothing will add up in this world. You'll be like the book of James says, just kind of walking around on uneven footing. But when you know who Jesus is and you know him and he knows you, you're walking on solid ground that gives you a firm footing in this world and in this life and also gives you eternity to come after this life is over with. I love what philosopher Blaise Pascal said centuries ago, he said, not only do we not know God except through Jesus Christ, but we don't even know ourselves until we know Jesus Christ. Think about this. Your life all the way up to Christ was just one big lie, just one big cover-up job, right? All we try to do, we, we were born in sin, we're born in death, and we try to cover it up with all kinds of things, don't we? I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, I mess up, I'm evil, and I have all, these, have all these feelings and all these sinful ideas and sinful thoughts, and it controls me. And so the only thing that I can do to cope with all that is I try to make sure that nobody sees it, so I do it in secret. Or I try to make sure that everybody just accepts it so I don't feel the guilt for it. 
And we try to cover up for it. We know that we're weak and we're broken. So what do we do? We start getting a bunch of masks and putting them on. And we smile and we show our teeth and we try to say to the world, everything is okay. But inside we're still dead. Because that's what the Bible says. In our, de- in our sins we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We don't even know ourselves. We're just trying to cover up the fact that we, we are dead and can't figure out how to do it until Jesus enters the picture. And then he says, come to me, all that labor and are heavy laden. Stop with the masks. Stop with the cover up. Stop with the hiding and just come to me. I'm going to bring all of your sins and all of your brokenness out into light. And you're going to see it for what it really is. But here's the thing. You don't have to keep staring at that stuff. You look to me and you will find life everlasting. We don't know ourselves until we know Jesus Christ. Not only do we not know God until Jesus, we don't know ourselves until Jesus Christ either. That's why he's important. That's why we worship him. That's why we sing, great are you, Lord. That's why we sing, I'm sorry for what I've made worship. Because worship is more than just what I want it to be. Worship is about him and who he deserves we make him to be. And I want to tell you this this morning. If you're here today and you've made Jesus too small or you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, you don't know what life can be like until you come to him. You don't even know yourself until you come to him. You come to him and he will reveal not only who you are, but who you are to him. And who you are to him is way more than you are to anyone else in life. If you don't know Christ, today's the day to get saved. Put your faith and trust in him, the son of God. You see, I know him. I know Jesus. I'm coming to know him more every day. And the more I know him, the more I come to know myself. You see, he's peace when I'm anxious. He's wisdom when I'm ignorant. He's there when everyone else has run out. And he's strength when I'm weak. He's compassion when I'm filled with hate. He's joy when I'm drowning in sorrow. He's light to my darkened soul. When he's patient, I'm failing. He knows me better than anyone else, and he loves me in spite of what he knows. So I ask you this question again this morning. Do you know him? Do you believe in him as the son of God? You can't throw, or you can't know the peace of salvation until you do. I'll close with this one, this one verse again. These things are written. These things were preached today. These things are written. That you may know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in the Son of God, you might have life through His name. Do you know it?